So tonight we're going to um, begin and get back into our studies through the book of, of Revelation. Before we did that, really, I want to just have a look, and I touched on this this morning a little bit, that I wanted to speak about the, the covenants in Scripture and uh, deal with some of them because it is important because as we um, fill out the book of Revelation we've left off in chapter number 9 the last time we were there uh, next week Lord willing we're going to pick up in chapter number 10 and we're going to move and things start to move quickly through the book of Revelation and what we're seeing is God keeping his promises and fulfilling his promises and seeing his program being fulfilled because God is a promise keeping God that's what we say that's what we sing that's what we believe and when we look at these promises we want to look at the covenants of God because they're they are important they're especially important in looking at uh, the book of Revelation and putting these things in, in place now we we've looked at uh, dispensationalism in the church and uh, and I didn't really want to go there too much this evening and, and, and talk about that but and part of that is there's an overlap between the dispensations and the covenants that are given by God. So, I wanted to look at the covenants tonight, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a look at the eight covenants of Scripture. There's actually nine, I think, covenants that are given by God. Some people will say there's seven, um, but they, 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 they lump in the Adenic and the Adamic covenant together. But there is another covenant that doesn't get spoken about very much, and it's really kind of tied into the new covenant a little bit. It's the covenant of the eternal priesthood. And you can see that that's a promise and a covenant that's given by God. Um, but nevertheless, uh, that's really tied in with the new covenant. So but we're going to have a look at what I would call the main eight covenants of Scripture this evening. But before we do that, let's pause for a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this evening, for the time to come and, and to study these things in a little bit more depth than we do maybe on a, on a Sunday morning. And Lord, I pray you would help us as we look at these covenants. Lord, I um, um, love to look at these covenants because it reminds me that you are a promise-keeping God, that you say what you mean and you mean what you say and you'll do what you say. And there's nothing in this world, be a friend or foe, that can stop this, Lord. There's not a power on earth or anywhere else can stop your promises being fulfilled. You are the sovereign God and we thank you for that. We praise your name and we lift it up as holy and high. And Lord, I pray this evening as we just look through this together in the brief time that we have that there will be something in here for us, each and every one of us, that would just uh, uplift us, Lord, uh, challenge us, just thrill our soul, help us, Lord, to remember as we see the things of the world uh, paraded in front of our faces day in, day out with the news that this world is in a mess. Help us to realize and remember that you are on the throne, that you've never left the throne, you will never leave the throne. And Lord, these things are not out of your control, but everything is under you, Lord. And ultimately, one day, you will fix all things. And Lord, that's why the book of Revelation is important. That's why it's important that we study it. That's why it's important that we know it, that we know how the end comes. We know that you are victorious. We know that you will make all things new. And we thank you for that, Lord. It's what keeps me going when I see the great travesties, Lord, and disasters and the things that have been happening and Lord even in this country seems things seem to wax worse and worse. We've had this news recently, Lord, of that little girl that was shot and Lord we just 
leave all things in your hand. We know that you will write the records. That all judgment belongs to you. And all promises are in your hands. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, covenants in the Bible. Two types of covenants. One, conditional. Two, unconditional. Only two, two different types. One's conditional, one's unconditional. Here's a little slide of the covenants for you. Da, 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 da. I'd like to say that I did that with my own fair hand, but I didn't. I borrowed it, stole it, whatever you want. Um, so eight covenants in the Bible. Like I said, you can make a case that there's nine, really, but these are, these are the eight covenants. So two, two types, conditional, unconditional. Conditional covenants are a two-way formula. They're two-way. It's just pretty simple. They have conditions. So a, a, a conditional covenant is characterized by the formula, uh, if you will, then I will. Greatest example of this, we've talked about this many times, is in where Exodus 19, the marriage contract between Israel, the wife of Jehovah, and Jehovah. It's, it's uh, the Mosaic Covenant. That's one of the conditional covenants and it's very clearly said there that God says if you will I will and all the people said we will it's a common together it's an agreement it's a promise it's a legally binding uh, conditional contract between Israel and Jehovah and um, God promises in these conditional covenants that if if man responds in the way that he should then God will bless that's the, the, the key attribute to it and fulfill certain conditions pertaining to that covenant. But man's failure to do so often results in punishment, and, and that's what happens. And God never breaks this conditional covenant. God never lets the side down. It's always us that let the side down. So one's response to the covenant, that conditional covenant, either brings blessings from God or it brings punishments for God for not doing what you said you would do. Simple. Um, two of the eight covenants in Scripture are conditional. I'll give you one, which is the Mosaic. What do you think the other one is? Have a look at them. <laughs> which, which, uh, so what, two of these eight are conditional. Okay, so one conditional one I'll give you is the Mosaic. What's the other conditional covenant? No, before that. No, before that. Yes. Only <laughs> so, so far back you can go in there. That's the Adamic covenant, right? Wasn't that conditional? Was that conditional? Yes. Yeah. What were the conditions? Don't eat the tree. Simple, simple, simple. Um, so let's let's have a little think about the unconditional uh, covenants um, that are there. So, what's a, an unconditional covenant? If we've looked at a conditional covenant, that, that's pretty clear. An, an unconditional covenant. What's an unconditional covenant then? If a conditional covenant is based on the formula, I will, you will. Right, exactly. There's no conditions. Yeah, there's no conditions attached to it. Simple. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science. This. So God is the one that that states this and aligns His name to this. He is the one that stands behind an unconditional covenant, and it's it's categorized by the formula, which is simply I will. Simply I will. 
God says he'll do it. There's no conditions attached to it. It's not based on human behavior. It's based on the sovereignty, the holiness, the character of God. And God says, I will. These blessings are secured by the grace of God. Now, if two of the the covenants are conditional, how many of the eight, this is just to see if you're awake, are unconditional? Six, okay, you're awake, you're right. All right, okay, so it's pretty pretty easy to work out which ones are <laughs> uh, unconditional because I, I've, I've given you them. So six of these eight are unconditional. And five of these eight covenants are made exclusively with Israel. So five of these uh, covenants are, are made with Israel uh, out, of the, out of the eight. And then the other three are for humanity in, in, in general. So the four covenants with Israel are all, uh, the Mosaic is one, that's conditional. And then the four other ones that are for Israel that are unconditional are the Abrahamic covenant, the land covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. We're going to have a little bit of a look at certainly the Abrahamic covenant and see that. So four things should be noted about the, <coughs> the nature of unconditional covenants made with Israel. Number one, they are literal covenants, literal promises, uh, literal agreements, if you like, and their contents must be interpreted literally as well. That's so important. They are literal agreements, covenants, promises, whatever you want to say. They must be interpreted literally. Why is that important? Because there are many that want to allegorize away the covenants God has given today. And that's not to be done at all. Secondly, the covenants that God has made with Israel are eternal. They are in no way restricted or altered by time. So number one, they are literal covenants given to Israel and and, um, have to be interpreted literally. Secondly, they are not restricted by time. That's one of the things I think has led to what we call replacement theology, is that there's so much time has passed since Israel (coughs) had been almost, as it would seem, uh, disconnected from the promises of God. We've looked at Israel as the wife of Jehovah and how she was rejected because of her idolatry and she was judged. But people mistook that for God being restricted to time. And that God had to deal with these other promises. And if Israel wasn't a nation, and Israel wasn't a people, how then was God going to fulfill his promises? Because God had to fulfill his promises. So man looks at this and they say, so much time has passed. Israel's not in the map. We're going before 1948. Israel's not in the map. Therefore, God has, has there's something else happening here. What is it? Well, well, Israel must have been replaced by the church. The problem with that type of mentality is we place restrictions on God. This, this happened, you know, absolutely, I believe it happened whenever uh, evolution came along and, and Darwin and the other voices came along. There's a, there's a movement to say, oh, well, God has to bend and, you know, we don't want to lose God. So therefore, we have to come up with a system and marry uh, what the, the word of God says with, with so-called science of the day to appease the people. No, no, no. 
doesn't have to be done. God says it, that settles it. And when his promises and his covenants are given, they are not restricted or altered by time. Unconditional covenants are on the basis of God and God alone. So, you know, if, if Israel still wasn't on the map today, if Israel wasn't a nation, and it is a nation now, and it has been gathered supernaturally, according to what God said will happen about that nation, we're in the book of Revelation, and God's judging and dealing with that nation once again. But even if today Israel wasn't on the map, even if we could look and we couldn't see it anywhere, and even if another 5,000 years passed where Israel wasn't a nation, it would not change the promise of God. God. Not at all. God is eternal. His promises are eternal. They're not restricted or altered by time. Thirdly, we have to re-emphasize that these are unconditional covenants. They are not negated by Israel's disobedience. That's what unconditional means. And we don't have to cover for God. We don't have to support God with coming up with some other system that keeps him uh, looking like a sovereign God. No. No, no, no. Israel's disobedient. Yes, they are. But this is unconditional. This is God saying, I will. Not, I will if you will. But I will in these unconditional covenants. So again, just because Israel has, has been unfaithful doesn't mean that the covenant is negated or abrogated. Not at all. Fourthly, these covenants were made with a specific people, Israel. And that's important. <laughs> so important. It's so lost today that I have to say it again. These covenants, these four unconditional covenants that we're pointing to specifically are made with a specific people, Israel. Let's look at this. Romans chapter number 9. Turn there, please. Romans 9, verse 4. Paul writes this, You are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenant and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Who are Israelites who pertaineth the adoption, the glory and the covenant. Turn to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians 2 verse 11 and 12 says this, Wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Five of these eight biblical covenants belong to Israel. And in the passage, as the passage tells us, the Gentiles were considered strangers from most of these covenants outside of it. So what about the timing of, of the provisions of these covenants? Well, a covenant in Scripture can be signed, sealed, and made in a specific point in history. So when we go back and we read, we're going to have a look at uh, Genesis 12, look at the Abrahamic covenant. We're going back to a time in history when that agreement, that covenant was made. But not... Does it, because it was made then doesn't mean, again, like I said, that 
because so long has passed that the promises have faded away. That's not how it happens. And in fact, with the, with the covenant promises, some promises go into effect straight away. Uh, some provisions go into effect in the near future, or it could be a combination of all these. And then some provisions only go into effect in the far distant prophetic future, which is what we're going to read about in Revelation through the common, common weeks. So um, just because the covenants haven't been fulfilled to this day doesn't mean that they won't be fulfilled. Just because the covenant may have seen some fulfillment in a previous time in history doesn't mean that therefore the rest of it won't be fulfilled. God is working through the ages according to his program and his purposes and his time. God is above all things. So when we look at the, the covenants, we've seen them there. There's the eight covenants. Um, I'm going to show you a little slide of uh, the uh, dispensations. I'm sure you all remember the dispensations, don't you? You do? I know you do. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> You're going to say that was a different dispensation when you taught that, so I can't remember. Let me see if I can get my little flicker on. So these, these is how they overlap. So we've got the Adenic, and remember we talked about the dispensation of innocence. And the simple responsibility for humanity, man and woman there, was just simply obedience. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in that day you shall surely die. Then we have the uh, Adamic covenant, and that's uh, the age of conscience in our dispensational teaching. The Noahic covenant. And again, that ties in with human government as that, that begins that dispensation. We have the Abrahamic covenant. Again, that is the dispensation of, of promise. We talked about that. We have the Mosaic, and clearly that's the law. Uh, the Palestinian, or the, I don't like to call it the Palestinian covenant. Call it the land covenant when you're around me, and that will be fine. <laughs> the land covenant, uh, the Davidic covenant. And then the, the new covenant, which really takes us in, into grace. So there's an overlap there. Now, uh, let me just show you this as well. This is God's plan of the ages. The dispensations, the covenants. The dispensations show man's failures in history, ends in moral or spiritual failure. Do you remember every time there was a failure by man, there was a judgment from God. But in that judgment, there was grace. You know, we get look at the garden, you think, well, you know, the judgment from God there was that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, expelled from the, 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 the tree of life, eternal life was, was, was taken from them, they should surely die in that day. And, and you know, we looked at that, how that, that really was, was grace in God's part. Because remember, the fall had happened, sin had come in, and God didn't want for man to live eternally sinful. He wants us to be with him, sinless. So there's grace. So we have the dispensations, we have the covenants. They're all together, tied in together as God's plan for the ages. So getting this right, folks, and this is why we're, we're just touching on this a little bit tonight. Getting this right will really help you unlock Scripture in the right way. You'll get the right people in the right places, and that's so important. Let me give you an example. We're going to have a look at the Abrahamic covenant. So uh, turn to Genesis chapter number 12. Because the Abrahamic covenant is so important, so foundational. And this is just one little example as to why understanding these things is, is important. So, 
We'll just read Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. We'll not read all. We'll just, for the sake of time, we'll just read verse number 1 to 3. Genesis 12. You'll find in Scripture through Genesis, the Abrahamic covenant is kind of re-given, but the first appearance is in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, excuse me, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So, here we have the, the giving of the Abrahamic covenant. And let's have a little think about some of the provisions that are in this covenant. So, First of all, a great nation was to come out of Abraham. That was the nation of Israel. So uh, verse 2 tells us that. I will make of thee a great nation. Secondly, he was promised a land, specifically the land of, of Canaan. Uh, so that's verse uh, 1 there, Genesis 12, 1. Unto a land and I will show thee. That's the promised land, so-called, because it was promised to Abraham. Third, Abraham himself was to be greatly blessed so that's there in verse number two so he's told that there's going to be a great nation to come out of him he's promised land he's told that he is to be greatly blessed fourth said his name would be great verse number two there of genesis 12 uh fifthly abraham will be a blessing to others these are all the provisions that are in this covenant sixthly those who bless israel will be blessed that's uh, verse three and i will bless them that bless thee and then, um, seventh, those who curse Israel will be cursed. I will curse him that curseth thee. You know that has not changed. This is eternal covenant. Remember, it's not subject to time. It's an unconditional covenant that's given by God. Nothing has changed in this. Nothing has changed in this. God will bless those that bless Israel. There's no doubt about that. And when you look at the nations that have done that, you will see they have prospered under God's hand. They have prospered under God's hand. God is true to his word. It's still in play today. And then the eighth aspect of the covenant is that Abraham will be ultimately, in all, all in Abraham, sorry, will ultimately be blessed. So that's at the end of verse 3 there. I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed so the provisions within this covenant the things that we've drawn out there that are are the promises in there can be put into three different categories there are those that are to abraham there are those that are to the seed or israel and there are those that are to uh, to the the gentiles so when we think about those to abraham abraham was to be the father of a great nation israel he was to possess all of the promised lands. Other nations, including Arab states, were ultimately to descend from Abraham. Many of his descendants would become kings, both Jewish and, and non-Jewish kings. Abraham was to receive personal, personal blessings. Abraham was to be a blessing to others. And his name was to become great. And so it is, is it not? Abraham's great name is great among all the Semitic nations, among the Jews, among the Muslims, among Christendom. Abraham is revered as the father of faith. So his name has been uh, lifted up. So those are the, the promises to Abraham. Then to the seed uh, Israel. The nation of Israel was to become great. 
Um, it was to possess all of the promised land. It was to receive victory over its enemies. And these promises were made both to Abraham and his seeds that, and showed us that the blessings have not yet received complete fulfillment, that ultimately we're going to see this, they await the messianic kingdom to come and we will see the fullness of that. So again, you know, when we're dealing with these covenants, like I said, there is some immediate fulfillment, there is some near distant fulfillment, and then at times there is fulfillment that is so far down the prophetic line that it is aeons away from what's going on at the time. Then there's the blessings to the Gentiles. The Gentiles will be blessed for blessing Israel. So there's their portion in there. Curse for cursing. And then also they would receive spiritual blessings in Abraham through the Messiah. And when you look at those blessings in the Abrahamic covenant, they contain physical blessings and they contain spiritual blessings. And that's important to, to note because the physical blessings were always towards the Jews. The spiritual blessings are that which come to the Gentiles through the Messiah. So we're looking at the Abrahamic covenant there and we're seeing that it is the, 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 the foundation. That's why I've gone through those provisions with you. It's the foundation for these other uh, three unconditional covenants that are given to Israel. Because we've looked, we've seen in the Abrahamic covenant there's land blessings. There is the uh, seed blessings, which is the Davidic covenant. We're going to have a little bit of a look at that in a minute. And then there are the spiritual blessings, which are in the new covenant. So the Abrahamic covenant is that foundation. When we've gone through that, those, all those things, we've got land, which is developed in the land covenant, or some people call the Palestinian covenant. We've got the seed in terms of Israel and the Messiah that is developed in the Davidic covenant. And then we have the new covenant, which is the spiritual, the blessing aspect. So the, the Abrahamic covenant is foundational for all these other three covenants that come out of the Abrahamic covenant. So let's think about the, the land aspect. Remember the, the land aspect. Now, these covenants are unconditional. So when we think about these covenants, we have to understand that there is nothing that can negate them. There's nothing that can break them because God has said he will do this. Now, this is important. Turn to Genesis chapter 15. So we'll look at the, the land covenant. Genesis 15. So again, I've said to you that the Abrahamic covenant is given in Genesis 12. It's, it's reiterated later on. So we get to Genesis 15, verse number 18. It says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying unto thy seed, I have given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So hopefully we've got this. So there we go. That's the promise of God in the Abrahamic covenant. So the Abrahamic covenant, that's given. God has promised. Remember, it's not subject to time. It's not subject to change. God has given this promise. And he has said that the people will possess the land, the land from uh, the, the Nile to the Euphrates. So that's, that's, that's the two borders, if you like, that God gives. Now, at no point in Israel's history... Have they possessed the land to that fullest? At no point, none. What does that mean? It's still to happen. 
Because this is an unconditional covenant. It is a promise of God that is not subject to time. It doesn't degrade with time. It doesn't fall away with time. It doesn't change. God doesn't suddenly think, do you know what? Because of the conditions in the world, it's going to be a bit difficult to deliver this. Let's, let's change the terms of the agreement. No, because there is no human part on this. This is God's promise. And nothing can stop this happening. It hasn't happened yet. That doesn't mean that we look to the world and we say, well, if it hasn't happened now, it's never going to happen. How could it ever happen now? No, we look to the word of God and say, God, you're sovereign, you're in control, you're on the throne, you said this will happen, therefore it will happen. Doesn't matter whether I can imagine it, foresee it, think about it, doesn't matter. You said it, God. I accept it. End off. Now, being human beings, we want to be clever and we just can't simply accept that that's what God said and he's going to do it. But... He is going to do it. And they're going to possess the land. And one day they will. And you can read about this in Ezekiel chapter number 47 and 48. You'll see. We'll have a look at the kingdom. You're going to see how they will possess the land. Look at the two boundaries there. This is how it's going to be laid out when the tribes possess the land in the millennial kingdom. As promised by God. Ezekiel 47 and 48. You can read it. You can map it out. That's what's going to happen. Mark it down. It's going to happen. Why? Because God unconditionally promised it would. And the minute that we say, you're never going to be able to do that, God. That's not going to happen. How dare we? How dare we question the sovereign God who can do all things? So that's going to happen. God said it's going to happen. But if the church has replaced Israel... What about the land promise? If, you know, I don't see the Baptists, the Methodists, and whoever else you want to throw in there. You know, if we start to walk this path where we, 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 we take Israel and all the promises that are given to Israel, specifically given that they will possess that land because the land was for them, and we say, no, no, it's the church now, and we start to mess about with it, we're messing about with God's plan, and we're messing about with his promises. The land promise physical given to Israel and Israel alone and that's important next quick covenant we'll have a look at just briefly is the Davidic covenant this is the seed uh, covenant uh, this is important let's, let's have a look turn to Revelation 12 verse number 5 we're going to get to this in the coming weeks in, in the book of Revelation Revelation 12 is a history of, of the Jews, Israel, uh, and Satan's war against them. Revelation 12, verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child. This is Israel, by the way. We will look at this and, and get to this. And she brought forth a man-child who was the rule of nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. So this is Israel. The, the child is Christ. When was Christ caught up to God's throne? Yeah, after his resurrection. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. But I want you to notice, it's God's throne. It's God's throne that Christ is caught up to. Acts chapter number 1. Turn there. This is where this happens. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Now notice, Christ doesn't rebuke them and say, Don't be so silly. That time is gone. The kingdom's not coming. He doesn't say that. Say, the church has taken all the promises of Israel. Don't you worry about it. No. He says, you don't know the time and, and the, the seasons or what the Father's doing, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the world, earth. And when he had spoken these things, they beheld. He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And when they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up unto heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So here we have the ascension. Christ is ascended unto the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father, but it's to God's throne that he is caught up to. Turn to Daniel chapter number 7. But there is a promised throne for Christ. Daniel 7 verse 13. And I saw in the night visions. And behold one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven. Came to the ancient of days and brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. If you're going to have a kingdom, you're going to have a king. You're going to have a king, you've got to have a throne. But Christ has been caught up to God's throne, but there's a promise of an everlasting throne that is Christ's throne. Turn to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. This tells us where Christ's throne is. The throne that is designated for Christ and Christ alone is not in heaven. Matthew 25 verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. That's what we read about in Acts where they're told. You men of Galilee, you stand and watch. Christ is departed, will come in the same way he'll return. Matthew 25 verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then... Shall he sit upon the throne of his glory? Christ ascended, not unto his heavenly throne, but unto God the Father's throne. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he is returning one day to claim his throne. What's going on in Matthew 25, 31? Christ is returning. It's the parousia. It's the Lord returning to what? Take his throne. This is the Davidic covenant. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11 to 16. Samuel 7, 11 to 16. And it's since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth me that he will make thee a house. And when thy days be fulfilled, I shall sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up thy seed 
after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he have committed iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of man, and with the stripes of the children of man. My mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. So the Davidic covenant deals with the throne, the royal authority of David and Solomon. So you can see as you've read this that in that covenant, in that promise, there was immediate fulfillment in Solomon. But then there was far prophetic fulfillment to come in Christ Jesus. And the promise that is given is that Solomon's throne, not a seed, Solomon's throne would be established forever. And, and Christ, he didn't come through Solomon's line, which was cut off at Jeconiah. Uh, you can read about that in Jeremiah 22.30. Christ was born of Mary, a direct descendant of David's son uh, Nathan. But Joseph, Jesus' legal father, was a direct descendant of Solomon, whom through the throne passed Legally, So in Christ you have one that had the right to this earthly throne. And that is the throne that Christ will sit upon. But it is physical. It is on this earth. It will be in Jerusalem. That will be the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And some will say, no, Christ's throne is in heaven. He has no earthly throne. But if he has no earthly throne, then the earthly throne that is promised in the Davidic covenant sits vacant and will sit vacant for an eternity and what does that mean for God and his promise is that he it means if we put it all together he will eternally not fulfill his promise God's words there and 1 Samuel are just flippant words that there will be no everlasting throne that God will have broken his promise God forbid that God would break his promises he is a promise keeping God he's a promise keeping God in the Abrahamic covenant and because he's a promise keeping God in the Abrahamic covenant he's a promise keeping God in the land covenant Israel will have that land in the proportion that God has promised. The Davidic covenant, the, the, the sea covenant will be fulfilled. That there will be a throne from Jerusalem that will be an eternal everlasting throne. And then we're left with the new covenant. The blessing covenant. Let's turn to Romans 11 and we're done. Again, we're dealing with Israel. As Gentiles, we have been grafted into this new covenant place of privilege. But the new covenant is given to Israel. And God has his plan for them. And he will fulfill it. Doesn't matter if time's passed. Doesn't matter if it doesn't look like it's happened. It's going to happen. Romans 11, verse 11 to 26. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Who's this? Israel. God forbid, Paul says. This is the highest form of rejection in the language that Paul can say. God forbid. 
but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. For to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostles of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them that are my flesh and make save some of them. For if the casting of away of them be of the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? You know, who are we talking about here? Israel. Context of Israel. Paul's laying out, you know, the blessings of the new covenant have come upon the Gentiles because Israel, as the wife of Jehovah, has been rejected. And look at the blessings that have come of that. But when, when, when they are restored? Think about what's going to happen. Verse 16, For the first fruit be holy, the lump also is holy. If the root be holy, so are the branches. If the sum of the branches are broken off and the... <coughs> Excuse me. They, <coughs> they being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Here Paul says, you know, we've been brought in, and we have experienced the privilege that was given to the elect nation of Israel. Boast not, verse 18, against the branches. But if they boast, they burst not the root, but the root thee. I think that's a prophetic word from Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Because what do we have today when we have people that want to replace Israel with the church and take what is Israel's for their own? It's boasting. Paul warns, be careful. Verse 19. They will say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off and they stand as by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fail. Severity, but towards thee goodness, if they continue in his goodness, otherwise they also shall be cut off. Again, this is from privilege, not salvation. The, the tree is not salvation, it's privilege. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if they were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be unwise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written... There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Do we see this in full now? No. Will it happen one day? Absolutely yes. God is faithful to his promises. The Abrahamic covenant, the land covenant, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant. God is faithful in what he says. 
And because of that, we can look at these covenants and we can trust him, absolutely trust him. For the promises he's, he's given to us today are sure and strong in the character and the holiness of God. The God who upholds his word upholds us. And we must remember that he is sovereign, that he doesn't break his promises, that he never fails and he never falters. And we're going to see in the book of Revelation, as we continue in the next few weeks, these promises start to come to fruition. We're going to see the kingdom coming. And it's going to be set up on earth, where Christ is going to rule and reign. Why? Because God said it was going to happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time that we've had uh, this evening, Lord, just quickly to look at these covenants. And there are so much more depth that we could go into, Lord, but we have the time. But, Lord, help us to take away this great truth that you mean what you say, Lord. And just because we haven't seen it yet doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. So, Lord, will you help us, encourage us, Lord, that Israel, far rejected, but never let go of, and ultimately to be restored. Lord, help us to remember that even though we fail you, even though we falter, that your promise to us will never be changed. You've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. You've promised that we're in your hands and your hand is in the Father's hand. You've promised that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Lord, help us to remember these things, to live these things, even when we don't feel like these things are true of us. We have to remember that they are true of you. Lord, that you'll never let us go. I thank you, Lord, for Israel. We pray for them and the peace of Jerusalem this evening. Lord, there are terrible, tumultuous times ahead for that people. But, Lord, we know that once the time of Jacob's trouble is done, Lord, they will have new hearts. They will look upon you, the one whom they have pierced. And they will take you as their Messiah and their King. What a day that will be, Lord. And we thank you that we will have a ringside seat as your church and your body. But again, Lord, I thank you that you can be trusted. That you'll never let us down. That you mean what you say. And you say what you mean. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. Uh, we'll sing our last.